So take your Bibles, if you will, turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter number 10 is where I want to bring forth the message tonight. As uh, you know well, the theme of your conference is conformed to the image of Christ. When Paul wrote to those churches in Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he said this, he said, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So your pastor picks a theme for the conference that really reflects a spiritual leader's heart from what we learn from the Word of God in Galatians chapter 4. It is a spiritual leader's heart that the people that he's ministering to, that Christ be formed in them. That they become a picture and a pattern of Jesus Christ to others. And so to be conformed to the image of Christ, we must understand what Christ's life what Christ's character, and what Christ's focus was here on this earth. And so tonight, I want to preach on this thought, the perfect image of a servant. The perfect image of a servant. Shall we bow in prayer? Father, I thank you for, Lord, the privilege to be in, Lord, a local church that you have established. And Lord, where there's life, Lord, where... The life of Christ is, Lord, seen in believers. And Lord, tonight, we spend some time together under your word and under the light of your word that you might show us your son, Lord, in a vivid way that, Lord, we would yearn to be conformed to his image. God, I thank you for the pastors that have gone before me. I thank you for Pastor Neighbors who will preach after me. God, I pray that you will use each, each message of the week, Lord, to build us, to shape us, Lord, to mold us into the image of Christ. Lord, stir our hearts tonight by your Spirit and through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. In Mark chapter number 10, verse number 45, we could call this the theme verse of the book or the Gospel of Mark. And it highlights one of the aspects of Christ's image that we can become like in our lives. Would you look at it with me tonight? The Bible says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. If you study the Gospel of Mark, a few background notes tonight as we get into this Gospel. The Gospel of Mark is interesting. It was written to the Romans And the Romans in that day were about power. The Roman Empire was very powerful. They had powerful emperors that ruled over that empire. And so as Mark writes the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing to a group of people that's interested in power. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them written to a different group of people, and therefore it affects what they might include or what they might emphasize in their gospel. And so when Mark writes, Mark doesn't write so much about the parables of Christ or the words of Christ. In fact, in the gospel of Mark, there's only four parables that he records in the whole gospel. But 19 different miracles that he records. So as Mark is writing his gospel, he's presenting a Jesus that is all-powerful. More powerful than the emperor's that the Romans would have been dealing with in their day. There's something else about the Gospel of Mark that you should know. 
the Gospel of Mark begins later in the life of Christ than any of the other three Gospels. So Matthew begins with the genealogy, right? The genealogy of Christ, going back and showing where Christ came from. Uh, John begins with Jesus in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, so the preexistence of Christ. Luke begins, obviously we have the birth of John the Baptist, and we have the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter number 2. But when we get to the Gospel of Mark, Mark begins, and he doesn't begin reflecting on Christ's life, until John the Baptist's ministry that precedes Christ's coming. And so it's interesting to understand some things as we look into this book tonight. Third thing we need to understand about the book of Mark is that John Mark is the author. Now there's a wonderful little truth in that. And that is this, that God is a God of second chances. Because John Mark was one of those men that left, wasn't he? He was on the missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and he left. And remember, they go back, and Paul, Paul doesn't have confidence in John Mark anymore. And Barnabas takes John Mark to work with him, restoration project maybe, and Paul takes Silas. But John Mark comes back around, and later in Paul's life, Paul says, take John Mark, for he's profitable for the ministry. And John Mark ends up writing the Gospel of Mark. Something else about the Gospel of Mark, as we give a little background tonight, And that is the Gospel of Mark clearly reveals the priority of Jesus' ministry of preaching over healing. So today, in many of our religious circles, there are a lot of ministries today that are bent on meeting the human physical needs of people. By the way, that's not wrong. But when you study the Gospel of Mark you will find that Jesus was sent forth, and he speaks these words, and I'll show you them tonight. He says, I was sent forth to preach. You find in the book of Mark, when you study his ministry, that you'll see where it talks about preaching and healing, and preaching is first, and healing is secondary, which reveals something to all of us tonight, and that is this, when we look at people... We need to understand that there may be physical needs, there may be emotional needs, there may be financial needs, but their greatest need is their soul need. Their soul need, their spiritual need. And Jesus is the one that meets those spiritual needs. There's something else we learn about the book of Mark. We believe that it was, a, one of the, was the earliest of the Gospels written. And so... of the book of Mark is recorded in the other three Gospels. And the Gospel of Mark presents Jesus as the servant of God. He presents him as a servant in our text tonight. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. He didn't come to earth for people to serve him. He came to earth to serve others. In fact, if we were to study the book of Mark and break it down into two sections, we could take Mark 2 through 10, all about Jesus serving others in Galilee primarily, where he's serving and he's with people and he's ministering to people. So one word that would characterize him in the gospel of Mark, the word servant. The other word is found in the second part of verse 45, but to give himself a ransom... For many, we could use the word sacrifice. Mark can be broken down into two different, clearly different words. Servant 
chapters 2 through 10. Sacrifice, chapters 11 through 16. Jesus came to serve and then to give his life a ransom for many. My friend, I wouldn't have to preach any farther tonight. And those are two aspects of the person of Christ that you and I should be motivated to be like Christ. A servant and a sacrifice. Tonight we'll focus on the servant side. When you're reading through the Gospel of Mark and on vacation recently, I had the privilege to be able to sit down and, and read almost through the entire Gospel in one sitting. Oh, there's so many things that jump off the page when you can read through a book in one sitting. And so as I was reading through the, the Gospel of Mark, the word and kept coming up. And, and, and. I looked that word up in a concordance, and in the Gospel of Mark, it's used 540 times in the Gospel of Mark. And many of the times that it's used, it's used in a verse at the beginning of the verse. It's a quick pace presentation of Christ's ministry. He's here, and then he's over here. He's ministering to this person in need, and just about the time he turns around, there's somebody else to minister. And so we find that Christ gives his life to the ends as a servant. There's another word that's important in the Gospel of Mark. It's the word immediately. It's, there's four synonyms for that word in the Gospel of Mark. The word forthwith, the word anon, the word immediately, and the phrase as soon as. Those four words are used 47 times in Mark's Gospel pointing to the fact that much of what he was doing was without break. Much of what he was doing, this and this and this. Do you ever have a day like that? And, 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 oh, and there's Bible conference tonight. Right? You've been coming all week. Uh, And so you've had full days and full nights and Boy, when you read through the book of Mark in that light, you'll find that Jesus had full days. Could I tell you, servants of God tonight, it's okay to have full days when you're serving the Lord. And certainly we see that in his life. And so I want you to see a little bit in it. Verse number 16, Mark chapter 1. Go back to Mark chapter 1 tonight. We'll get into the message here, the image of a perfect servant or the perfect image of a servant. Verse number 16, the Bible says, Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And, of course, he spoke to them, and he called on them to follow him. And look at verse number 19. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. So he meets Simon and Andrew, and he meets James and John right after that. Boom, boom. Look at verse 21. And they... I, maybe that's enough for a day. Oh, no. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue and taught. And in verse number 29, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. By the way, my understanding is we're all on the same day. Here's two. He calls them. Turns around, he meets two others. He calls them. Hey, let's head over to Capernaum. He goes into the synagogue. He teaches. And after that, the Bible says in verse 29, they came out of the synagogue. They went into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And by verse number 32, would you look at it? The Bible says, and at even, now we're getting to the evening of the same day, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased 
and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. Sounds to me like a late evening and a long day. Many diseased. Now the Bible says here, it was when the sun did set. So sun setting in our culture today, 7.30ish, 8 o'clock. And at that time, new ministry presented itself by numbers. They brought all that were diseased. It's evening. He's already called four disciples on this day. He's already taken a trip to Capernaum. He's already taught on this day. He's already went to Simon's house on this day. Now at evening, here's a whole new set of problems. Here's a whole new opportunity for ministry. My friend, if we can learn anything about Jesus tonight, when there was an opportunity to serve, he didn't decline. He was a servant. He was a servant. You know, as Christians, God's called us to be conformed to the image of Christ and be a servant. In Philippians chapter number 2, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He willingly took upon him the form of a servant. Now that's a long day, but look at verse 35. The Bible says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day. Now I don't know about you, but if I have a late night, an early morning doesn't look real inviting. Now some of you, you are early risers. I have an assistant at our church, an assistant pastor, and he's an early riser. He gets up at 3, 3.30 every morning. And I don't know how he does it. I tell him when it's night, we're supposed to sleep. Until I came to this verse, and I had to talk to him the other day and say I was wrong, because the Bible says Jesus rose up a great while before day. And look at the day that he just had. A long day. But Jesus rises up the next morning a great while before day. And he went out and departed into a solitary place and prayed. So that brings us into uncovering a model display of being an effective servant of God. Say, preacher, how can I be conformed to the image of Christ as a servant? I want to give you a couple thoughts on that. Number one, if you're taking notes tonight... You could write this down. A servant like Christ, an effective servant, stays focused on his mission. He stays focused on his mission. Now, if we go back to chapter number 1, the Bible says in verse number 14, Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. I want you to understand the word now the words now after have some important meaning here. It was a time that was to be fulfilled. In other words, John the Baptist had been beheaded, and now is the time for Christ's ministry to explode through Christ. Christ is coming on the scene. The time, the Bible says, now after John's out of the picture was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, verse 15, and saying the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Could I say this, Christian? Your time to be a servant is now. The time's fulfilled. Right now. Maybe some of you are here and you can look back at your life and you can see years 
that were wasted. Time without Christ in your life. Hey, you know what? Use the time now. Your opportunity to serve God is now. Young people, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. If you're a young person, you're sitting here tonight, and you're saved, your time to serve God is not when you turn 18. Your time to serve God is not when, you know, you've sown your wild oats, so to speak. Your time to serve God is now. It's now. You need to understand, in order to be an effective servant, you've got to have a mentality that it's now. Every opportunity that comes up to serve, it's now. It's now. It's now. I'm 47 years old. I don't know how long God has for me on this earth. But I do want you to know this. I don't want to miss opportunities to serve God. I've got a limited time. My window is closing. If my life is to end at, let's say, 72 years old, and I take a yardstick that's 36 inches, and every two inches represents one of my years, do you understand how much of that uh, yardstick is taken up? It's gone. Your yardstick's moving. You're growing towards the end. Could I encourage you tonight, if you're going to be an effective servant, you've got to look at opportunities of service as now. Not, well, I'd like to do that, but, 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 your opportunities, mamas, to serve your kids is now. That may get heavy and taxing at times. We just entered Empty Nestville in the last couple of weeks. Now, we still serve our kids and love our kids, but the everyday aspect of serving them in our home is gone. Take advantage of that while you have it. Your time to serve your church is now. Well, preacher, when I retire, I'll find time. No, you better find time now. You better understand right now. The time is fulfilled. It's now. It's now. When Jesus called the disciples, it was now. Leave your nets now and follow me. And so an effective minister has to stay focused on his mission and has to understand there's timing to that mission. They also have to understand it's a truthful mission. Do you understand in the culture in which Mark was writing that these people that he was writing to were concerned about a political kingdom? They were very interested in Rome. They were very interested in what was going to happen in Rome, who the next emperor was going to be, so that we could have a better life, so that, you know, hopefully things would work out better and look better than they, than they do today. Do you see any similarities to where we're living today? What are people concerned about today? Who's going to be elected in November? Are we ever going to come out of the control of the government's hands and we could go on and on and on? Is it going to get any better? Boy, inflation keeps on going. But Jesus' mission wasn't to answer all the questions about the politics of the day. His mission was to preach the gospel. And so it is the mission of the church today. If we're going to be effective servants in a local church, we have got to stay focused on our mission. Though there are distractions about us to get our eyes on other things, it is still the preaching of the gospel. That is the mission of the church. That is the mission of the Christian. And so Jesus said in verse number 15, I don't think he preached a watered down gospel. 
For it says, he said, repent ye and believe the gospel. It means that he preached it publicly. He proclaimed it unashamedly. If we're going to be effective ministers, we have to stay focused on this mission. You as an individual believer have to stay focused on this mission. Can I talk to you about it for a few minutes tonight? What are you doing actively with the gospel? What opportunities are you creating and what opportunities are you taking advantage of in your neighborhood, in your realm of influence with the gospel? To constantly challenge our people because you know what people want to talk about today? Politics. And you know what Christians get caught in? Talking about politics. And you know what it's a distraction from? The gospel. People need the gospel. The gospel changes them from the inside out. Politics will never change them. But the gospel will. The gospel will give them a home in heaven. The gospel will change their family. The gospel will change their direction. Jesus came and he came with a mission. And the mission was preach the gospel. May First Baptist, First State Baptist Church always be a ministry that is centered on preaching the gospel. The gospel of Christ. Repentance is the sinner covering his mouth and crying unclean. He said repent. Repent means that he was bringing upon people that there needs to be a change of mind in your life about your sin and about your need of a Savior. Belief means that they would, that same unclean person that would, oh my, I'm unclean at the same time, would cry out and say, God, if you would, would you make me clean? I know thou canst. If you would make me clean. Brethren, that is what we preach. We preach repentance and we preach faith. That's what Jesus preached. That was his mission. Uh, in fact, in Acts chapter 20, the apostles followed that message when it says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. They carried on that message. In Mark 1, verse number 38, it shows us Christ staying focused on this mission now. He, it says, and he said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. And he says in that verse, for therefore came I forth. You understand, as a servant, he understood mission, preach. Mission, spread the gospel. Mission, we've got to go to the next towns, for there's something that I must do there. There's a reason why I came to earth, and that was to preach. My friend, God did not save you just to give you a fire insurance policy out of hell. He saved you to preach. He saved you to proclaim the gospel. That is the mission of Christ. If you're going to be made into the image of Christ, then you have to be a believer that focuses on the gospel. How do I get it out? Who can I talk to today? Well, I'm going to carry some gospel tracts. Well, I'm going to carry a Spanish tract in case I meet somebody that speaks Spanish and I can't speak to them. I want them to get the gospel. Maybe I'm supposed to go and be a missionary somewhere and commit my life to reaching a foreign field with the gospel. But by all means, let my life count for the gospel's sake. It's a truthful mission. It's a timely mission. Six weeks ago in our community... There's a tragedy. There's an Amish family 
They had a tractor. They had an open trailer, no sides on the trailer. They decided to take a road with metal wheels on the tractor down some roads to get to a fishing spot. He wanted to take his family fishing, the man did. He got on that road. That road was wet that day. He tried to hit his brakes as he was going around a sharp curve, and that thing kicked out of gear and kicked loose. He told me the story. When it kicked loose, it slid and it jackknifed, and that trailer and that tractor slammed into a tree like this, a V. Nine children on the back of that trailer and his dear wife, 36-year-old lady, Wife was killed instantly upon impact. Three children were killed. Two nephews were killed. Our church heard the story, became very burdened for that Amish family. Immediately met with our benevolence director. He met with our church. We were able to reach out and share a gift with them. Last week we were on our Saturday visitation and my partner, and I were planning to go to another house, and I said, you know, I think we just really need to go over to the Stoltzfus house and just try to spend some time if he's available. And I don't know him. I've never met him in my life. Um, we drove in. His little boy was there. I introduced myself to the little boy. He said, let me go get my dad. My dad is here. man came out on a cart. He had lost half of his foot in the accident. And we talked a little bit, and he said, hey, do you have some time to talk? I said, sure. He said, why don't you come around out back, sit in our tent. And for the next two hours, Mr. Amos shared the sorrow and the shock and the hurt of what he'd been through. His brother and his stepbrother sat there attentively, and we were able to give Christ and present Christ to them. And I share that not to exalt anybody in the situation, but to say this. Opportunities knock. For five years, we've been working with my neighbor, Ronnie. Ronnie drinks a lot. Comes from a very rough background. We've invited him to church. We've witnessed to him. I've sat on his porch and cried with him through things that he's faced. Until about Two months ago, we woke up. My wife can verify this. We walked out to the car on Sunday morning like we always do to get in it and go to church. Ronnie opened his door and said, Chris, what's time's church? Church is at 9.30 Sunday school, 10.30 morning service. Never interested in church prior to this, but he said, Chris, I'll be there. Amen. Sure enough, him and his wife show up for church. Comes two different Sundays. He says, I need to talk to you. We set up a time to talk. He said, you were preaching at me both those Sundays, weren't you? I said, Ronnie, my messages are prepared not knowing who's going to show up or what. I was not preaching at anybody. He said, well, you described my life. You went into his life story. We sat across and had a sandwich together. And Ronnie said, you know, I think I'm ready to get saved. Do you think I'm ready to get saved? And I'm saying tonight... Opportunities knock. They knock. We were at a man by the name of Owen yesterday. Owen just moved into our area. He just got married. 
He moved on the corner of one of our roads. And one my visitation partner went out and presented the gospel to Owen. Owen has yet to come, come to Christ, but we went out to visit him yesterday. It had been five weeks since we'd been there. He said, it's funny that you came here today. Words out of his mouth, yesterday at work, I asked my coworker about your church. We're going to come. Opportunities. Nah. Dear Christian, could I encourage you tonight, if you're going to be an effective minister, you have to be committed to giving the gospel. You have to be committed to that. There's something else, and I close tonight. I'll finish quickly. The second thing is, he was not only focused on the preaching of the gospel, but he did it in the power of the Spirit. If you look over to Luke chapter 4, briefly tonight, Luke chapter number 4, the Bible says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, he says, In my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verses 1 and 2, I believe that it is Jesus speaking. When you read the book of Isaiah, there's something you should know about interpretation. Many times Isaiah is writing in the present of something that's going to take place in the future as though it has already taken place. And he's writing in Isaiah chapter 61, and he says this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. But what did he need in order to do that? Even our Savior needed the Spirit of the Lord. The power of the Spirit. And my friends, if our Savior pointed to that in his ministry and entered back into Galilee where we're reading in the power of the Spirit, how much more do you and I need that? The question is this. If I'm going to be a servant of God in the image of Christ, I've got to stay focused on the mission. But I've also got to understand I have to do things in the Spirit and not the flesh. That is vital to being an effective servant of God. And I think there are some things that must be true then of our lives. Number one, our lives must be word-focused. Our lives must be word-focused. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul's preaching, he says, I didn't use man's wisdom. I leaned on God's wisdom. I didn't speak enticing words. I didn't speak to impress people. I didn't speak to make people feel good. I just spoke God's word. And there's power in the word of God. And in our lives, we have to be word-focused people. Can I give you this tonight, dear Christian? Did you ever look at your personal time with God every day as in this way? Lord, would you give me something that I could minister to my children today with? That I could minister to a brother or sister in Christ and encourage them today with? You know, Proverbs says the lips of the righteous feed many. And God wants us to minister in the Spirit. And we minister in the Spirit when we have something from the Word that the Spirit gave us to give to somebody else. God, would you put somebody in my path today that's lost that I could show Jesus to? That I could tell of Jesus today? Lord, would you fill my life with the Word so that it's overflowing so that, Lord, your Word touches somebody? A Word-focused ministry. Sometimes... 
we're coasting through devotion. Sometimes we're in devotions and we're in ruts and we're getting very little out of it. And we're looking at it for just us. And I believe my devotional time is for me. My time with God is for me. But do you know what God does in that time? He fills my soul to be able to minister to somebody else. He puts something on the tip of my tongue to be able to share to somebody that is in need. An effective servant is a servant that is word focused. But could I also say this? An effective servant is also a servant with the power of the Holy Spirit because he's prayer focused. In Matthew chapter 4, as we compare text in the Gospels, when Jesus returned to Galilee, he returned in the power of the Spirit after he had done what? Fasted for 40 days. He returned in the power of the Spirit. I believe that there is power that is connected to prayer. Last night at the end of our visitation, we bowed our heads in our car and we prayed for Owen and his wife, Destiny. And we said, Lord, we don't know what's going on in his life. His life is full. His life is busy. But God, help him not to lose sight of his need for Christ. You know what? I believe that God's Spirit works in people. I believe that he worked last night. For him to talk about us to a co-worker and talk about our church when he's not seen or heard of us in five weeks... I told my partner, I said, that's God. That's God doing something in his mind and in his heart that's stirring him. Uh, Praying, praying. Remember when the disciples were to go and be witnesses, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And what did they go into from there? They went into a prayer meeting for 10 days. And what happened in Acts chapter 2? The power of of the Holy Spirit took over and worked in men's hearts. Um, Turn over, if you would, into Acts chapter 4. A effective servant is a servant that is dependent upon the power of the Spirit. And I think we're afraid of that word today. I think we've seen a lot of fake power We've seen the Benny Hinn experiences. And so I think in our minds, to use the word power as it relates to God, oh, that's a scary thing. But it wasn't a scary thing. It was a real thing. It was dynamic in the early church. In Acts chapter number 4, the Bible says in verse number 24, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? And they praise him. And verse 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And when they had prayed, verse 31, the place was shaken where they were assembled, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And verse 33 resounds to me. I believe it's available to churches today. I believe that God wants to show His great power. The Bible says in verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I'm asking you tonight, church, as we think about being conformed to the image of Christ and staying focused on the mission But would you bow a knee before God at the altar call at the end of the evening and pray for power in your life? 
for the power of the Spirit in your church services, for your preacher to have boldness to proclaim, for we get it from the very life of Christ that he was a servant, but he wasn't a servant going through the motions. He was a servant that was focused on a mission and he understood that the power of the Spirit of God was necessary to accomplish that mission. And my friend, in your life and in your church and in your family, it's the same thing. That is necessary. Could you see that tonight in the life of Christ? The model of a servant. You're teaching or helping in a class here. Would you pray for the power of the Spirit in your class? You know, that Sunday school teacher that led D.L. Moody to Christ had no idea. No idea what God was going to do. But there's something going on in that little classroom and that little boy's heart. The old Spirit of God took over. The old Spirit of God began to work in that young man. And that young man saw many thousands of people come to know Christ because there was a teacher somewhere that wasn't just doing the lesson to get through the week, that was interested in the soul and the development and the spirit working in the children's lives in which that Sunday school teacher taught. Teacher, could I encourage you that about that tonight? I'm asking you, church, to renew your prayer life for power through your life and through this church. For that's the example that we find in the model servant. Are your prayers to God on autopilot? They're very similar day in and day out. Not really pressed in your spirit before God about much. In fact, few names outside your family pop up in prayer that you're concerned about. You're not really hungry to see his power. Hey, listen, I'm not condemning you tonight. I'm saying all of us can get lackadaisical. All of us can have prayer lives that go on autopilot. But there should be a stirring from what we see in the life of Christ tonight that if he could have that power, then the Holy Spirit could do the same thing through my life and my church and our ministries. We want to see God show his mighty hand. We still serve the God of the book of Acts and the book of Mark. He's still the same God with the same amount of power, unlimited power. Last thing I give you is an example-focused ministry. We can read about it in Romans chapter 15. He speaks and he says, To make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. The structure here points to Gentiles coming to Christ through Paul's words and deeds. Now, me doing good to somebody doesn't save them. Neither does it proclaim the gospel. But Paul indicates that his preaching of the word matched with his life that reflected a changed life from the gospel helped Gentiles to come to Christ and be obedient to the gospel. And so Christian tonight, the model servant stays focused on his mission But the model servant also depends upon the power of the Spirit. But what does the Spirit work with? He works with the Word. He works when we pray. And He works 
through an example. An effective servant. You study the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is preaching, and what's he doing? He's showing compassion. He's serving. He's giving himself. He's sacrificing. He's doing good. He's meeting needs. He has nothing that you can lay your hand upon him in a wrong way, that he's doing something that dishonors God. He's living the example. And Christian, I want you to understand something tonight. Being conformed to the image of Christ is not an impossible thing. For the scripture paints very specific aspects of Christ's life by which when we yield to the Spirit's work in our lives, we can become like Him. That is God's calling upon our life. Whom He did call, He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son.